0: This is Tyquan Lewis. You're listening to Dash to the Draft on Sports Crunch.
1: Welcome back to Sports Crunch with d Crom, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Cromwell. This is the final episode of our 2018 Dash to the Draft series, and what better way to wrap it up than with a look at the draft classes of the NFC West. With Josh Rosen joining Russell Wilson, Jared Goff, and Jimmy Garoppolo, the NFC West could be the most exciting division to watch in the NFL during these next five to ten years. Aside from the addition of Rosen, did the 2018 draft halls of the 49ers, Cardinals, Seahawks, and Rams do anything to make such excitement even more possible? Joining us to answer that question and more is our good friend, one of the best football minds in the business, Mr. Jordan Reed. Jordan hosts his own podcast, Climbing the Pocket, and was recently added to the incredible team at InsideThePylon.com. It's always a treat having you on the program, Jordan. How are you doing?
0: Great, man. Thanks for having me on. Once again, it's always a pleasure.
1: It's always a pleasure indeed, Jordan. You're very welcome. And without further ado, let's uh, discuss this uh, 49ers draft class. And they dedicated the first part of their draft to supporting their new franchise quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo. And with the ninth overall pick, they got some much-needed protection for Garoppolo by selecting Notre Dame offensive tackle Mike McGlinchey. To many, McGlinchey can grow into a Pro Bowl right tackle in the mold of Jack Conklin and Ricky Wagner. However, there is talk that McGlinchey will eventually replace Joe Staley, who's getting long in the tooth, at left tackle when Staley retires. Should Mike McGlinchey spend his entire career on the right side, or do you think he's capable of developing into a rock-solid blind blindside protector?
0: I like him much better on the right side, and I like how they're kind of putting the training re- wheels on him right away, already having Joe Staley on that left side. So They can ease McGlinchey into the right side. Now, I was a bit confused by the pick initially because Trent Brown was already there, but he wasn't really a scheme fit for them. And we really didn't know what they were going to do with him at the time. But now the pick makes much more sense because since then they've traded Trent Brown to the New England Patriots. I believe it was. So McGlinchey definitely is penciled in as the starter at right tackle. I like him much better at that spot as opposed to left tackle right away. I thought he was much better there at Notre Dame as well. His film was much more better as far as his technique and his overall power at right tackle as opposed to left tackle in 2016 and 2017. So, I think you went to a perfect situation. You talk about a team that's on the upswing, up and coming in the NFC West, and the 49ers invested in Jimmy Garoppolo right away, drafting Mike McGlinchey.
1: They most certainly did. And after getting Garoppolo that much needed protection when Mike McGlinchey in round one, they got him another weapon in round two as they traded up for Washington wide receiver Dante Pettis. Matt Waldman, a good friend of the program and one of the best football minds out there, as like you. He had Dante Pettis as the top receiver in this class. When he was previously on the program, Matt said that Pettis fits the current mold of wide receiver that has seen instant success in the NFL, as in guys that are not necessarily the tallest or the fastest, but who are quick, who run excellent routes and have the versatility to play either in the slot or on the perimeter. However, Mike Mayock said while discussing the pick of Dante Pettis on the NFL Network draft broadcast that Pettis is only a slot guy in his view. Does your evaluation of Dante Pettis side more with the opinion of Matt Waldman or that of Mike Mayock?
0: I would go more with Waldman. I disagree with the notion that he's just a slot guy. I think he's shown the ability to be able to win consistently from the slot and outside. And Although he does have a slight frame, I think he's so good at the line of scrimmage that he's able to create separation and win initially at the line of scrimmage. Because one thing that was really difficult for defenders to do against Dante Pettis was to jam him or press him at the line of scrimmage because he was so quick and he has such good moves and good hand usage off the line of scrimmage. And you talk about a guy. That has a really good catch radius, and he just knows how to get open, which is something that the 49ers needed on the perimeter. They don't really have a go-to guy, and they still don't have that go-to number one receiver. They only have Pierre Garcon and Marquise Goodwin right now. That's really their main go-to targets right now, but adding in Dante Pettis and the mixture of him in the slot and on the outside is going to help them a lot.
1: Who it most certainly is, and. Pierre Garçon is getting a bit long in the tooth, and Marquis Goodwin's a bit of a one-trick pony, if not a two- or three-trick pony, dare I say. Uh, but do you see Dante Pettis assuming the role of wide receiver one for the 49ers this year?
0: I don't see it this year, but I could see it down the line where he could be a complimentary number two guy to whoever they bring in via free agency down the line. I think they're definitely going to target that big-time number one guy down the line.
1: Oh, it's going to be interesting to watch. And my personal favorite pick the 49ers made in this draft was their selection of BYU linebacker Fred Warner in round three. Warner was one of my favorite guys that I watched down at the Senior Bowl, as his speed and ability to cover a lot of ground in a hurry were on display in each practice. Do you see Fred Warner winning a starting job in training camp and assuming that KJ Wright role in Robert Solly's defense?
0: It definitely could happen. And he's a guy that I liked a lot as well. Uh, He really blew up at the senior bowl. That's really where it started to take off. And you talk about a guy that can just run sideline to sideline. He really moves around like a safety. That's what really makes everything so good about him. Very sure tackler is really good at wrapping up and bringing ball carriers to the ground. So he fits that mold alongside maybe Ruben Foster if he does get his act straight. We still don't know if he's going to be back this year, but the signs are pointing up in that direction. Then you also have Malcolm Smith as well, who was also another talented player. So They're adding a lot of speed to that linebacking core, and they're starting to develop one of the better young units throughout the NFL. Now adding Fred Warner, you're bringing in more speed and a very promising prospect as well.
1: Indeed. And the 49ers added another intriguing wide receiver in the seventh round in Middle Tennessee's Richie James. He compares very favorably to Jamison Crowder of the Redskins. However, with all of the receivers on this 49ers team right now, we mentioned Garcon, Marquise Goodwin, Dante Pettis, and Trent Taylor, who was magnificent for them in the slot last year, I can't find a role for Richie James in this offense, at least this season. What do you envision Richie James' role being in both the short and long term for the 49ers?
0: Well, I was a big advocate of Richie James pre-draft. He was one of my favorite down-the-line receivers in the draft. You know, the guy that really wasn't in that top 10. Uh, Other draft rankings that probably was going to go in the later rounds, but when he was on the field, he was incredible. He was hampered by some injuries his senior year at MTSU he battled a shoulder injury, but when he was on the field, he was incredible. It just put up so phenomenal numbers. His first three seasons at MTSU, but obviously his last season, he battled some injuries, but he's a very promising prospect. Now, I don't think he will overtake Trent Taylor in the slot because you know he's been very productive in that area, but you talk about a backup or down the line guy behind Trent Taylor. I think Richie James can be that guy who can be that fourth fifth or if they carry six wide receivers on the roster i think he can be a guy that fits that role very successfully
1: yes uh, do you think he could eventually grow into a number three if not a number two
0: I think he can eventually mold into a number three like a Jameson Crowder is for the Redskins, as you alluded to earlier.
1: Yes, it's going to be interesting to watch Richie James' development. And moving on to the Arizona Cardinals, who traded up five spots in the first round to select who they hope will be their next franchise quarterback in Josh Rosen. According to many during the pre-draft process, most notably his college coach, Jim Mora, Josh Rosen had to land somewhere with an offensive coordinator that would challenge him intellectually. And new Cardinals offensive coordinator, Mike McCoy, runs a very complex. System that is very comparable to that of Josh McDaniels and the Patriots. Because of Mike McCoy, could Josh Rosen have asked for a better landing spot?
0: This was one of my favorite overall drafts in the entire league. I think the Arizona Cardinals nailed it with their draft class. You talk about starting off with Rosen, even Christian Kirk, and even a guy like Mason Cole, which I liked a lot. But just staying on topic of Rosen, I think this was the best possible outcome for the Cardinals because they didn't have to give up a King's ransom to move up for him. They only gave up, I believe it was a third and a fifth round draft pick to move up to 10 to pick him, which was really good. And he was my quarterback, number one overall. So getting him at number 10 overall was really good. And I think this is a team that's really rebuilding, especially on offense. And the best or the best friend of a young quarterback is a great running back. And they obviously have one of the better running backs coming back this year in David Johnson. Now, I really don't expect Rosen to start this year, but he probably will at some point because it's just the nature of the beast with Sam Bradford. He hasn't been able to stay healthy the past few seasons. So I think Rosen is going to step in and play. At some point and I think he's going to end up overtaking that job before the season ends and my money is on him being the best in this class I was a big fan of him pre-draft he's the most polished and his mechanics are just flawless at this point as a prospect and I think he has an extremely high ceiling he's a guy compared to Matt Ryan and as a prospect I think they were mirror images of each other and as long as you have a strong running game behind him and some weapons on the perimeter which they will get in the future and they already started to Christian Kirk and they already have Larry Fitzgerald there. So I think Rosen is in a very admirable situation with the Cardinals.
1: Uh, he most certainly is. But my question was about Mike McCoy and uh, the people around the league and Jim Moore saying that Josh Rosen needs to be challenged intellectually by his coaches early in his NFL career. And do you think Mike McCoy is that guy to challenge him intellectually?
0: Yeah, I think he is because he's dealt with a competitor before. He's coached Phillip Rivers before. And we all know Phillip Rivers is one of the more vocal and vocal leaders on the charges. And I think Rosen, he doesn't have quite that same type of personality, but as far as an intangible standpoint and how he wants to be challenged on a day to day basis. I think he's very similar to Phillip Rivers, so I think Mike McCoy is a very perfect match for Rosen in Arizona.
1: Yeah, and as you alluded to, David Johnson, uh, this takes me to my personal concern with Josh Rosen, and it had nothing to do with his character. It was his durability. His extensive injury history coupled with his limited mobility and the problems he has under pressure are even more worrying to me given the fact that the Cardinals offensive line is currently arguably a bottom five unit in the NFL. Should Josh Rosen start, let's say, 10 or more games this year, do you think it would be wise for the offense to be centered more around david johnson than josh rosen this season in order to best protect josh rosen
0: yeah i wouldn't play rosen unless i necessarily had to this year i think it should be Sam Bradford's job to lose going forward. And he. everyone knows that he is that bridge guy. And that offense should revolve around David Johnson because that's how special of a player he is. He's a guy that's a receiving threat and obviously a rushing threat out of the backfield. And he is the face of the franchise player for that offense going forward. So I definitely would like the offense to revolve. Around David Johnson and while using Sam Bradford as the bridge quarterback for now.
1: Yes, and I think that would make sense because uh, I think the Cardinals' goal should be as long as Sam Bradford is healthy, he should play. Because if you don't trust this offensive line to protect Josh Rosen this year, I think it might be counterproductive to rush him out. Don't you think so?
0: Yeah, I'm definitely with you. And I really didn't like their signings along the offensive line outside of Pew coming over from the New York Giants. I mean, they signed Andre Smith and a couple other guys, just a guy that's kind of been a journeyman the past few years, or patchwork guys to get them through until the future guys, whoever they draft in the future. So I definitely will be uncomfortable putting my potential franchise quarterback of the future behind those type of guys.
1: Yes, and another guy you alluded to was Christian Kirk, who was the Cardinals selection in round two, the wide receiver out of Texas A&M. And what makes this pick so interesting is that Kirk and Josh Rosen have known each other since high school. Like after Christian Kirk, who is an Arizona native, by the way, was drafted, uh, Josh Rosen posted a picture of both of them on his Instagram at, at a football camp together from high school. And head coach Steve Wilkes stressed after the draft that they want Kirk on the field early and often. Do you think the experience that Josh Rosen and Christian Kirk shared in high school will help their connection on the playing field pay immediate dividends?
0: Probably not immediately because I just don't see Rosen playing immediately like Kirk will do in the slot. Now I think Kirk is a slot only guy. He's not a guy that has the length or the ability to consistently win on the perimeter. That's just not, not his type of game or what his game is predicated upon, but he's a guy that wins with quickness and speed at the line of scrimmage. He doesn't really have an outstanding catch radius, but if the ball was is within his radius and within his body frame, I think he's able to catch the ball. So it'll be interesting to see how good Kirk is initially, but he's getting mentored by one of the best slot receivers in NFL history and Larry Fitzgerald. So. They have the ability to be able to bring him slow along if they want to. But if they want to put him on the field right away, I wouldn't be surprised by that either because I think his game is ready right now. And I think he was one of the better wide receivers in the NFL draft as well. So getting him in the second round was another fantastic value pick for the Cardinals.
1: It most certainly was. And you also mentioned uh, their selection of Mason Cole, the center from Michigan. And while that selection alone likely won't solve their entire offensive line problem overnight, Cole, who I also saw at the Senior Bowl, he's a very solid, durable, consistent player. I believe that he started like about 30, 40, 50 some odd games in a row. Correct me on that number eventually. But uh, when it comes to Mason Cole, do you see him beating out AQ Shipley for the starting center job at training camp? Uh, I think he's better than AQ Shipley is right now, personally.
0: Yeah, it just depends on how quickly he can adjust to the playbook, catch on with the playbook and the speed of the game. That's the biggest thing with Mason Cole. He's a guy that's very durable. I think it was 51 games that he started at Michigan and he played all over the line, specifically center. But the last few years, I know he's played left tackle due to injury. That wasn't really his natural position. He just doesn't have the length to hold up on the perimeter. He's a guy that's best suited. Inside And that's what he's going to get the luxury of doing with the Cardinals. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if he does end up beating out A.Q. Shipley. He's not a guy that I think is ever going to be a high end or an elite starter in the NFL. But you talk about a guy that can be right around that average range. I think Mason Cole is able to be that type of guy for them long term.
1: And moving on to the Seattle Seahawks. And after losing Jimmy Graham, Paul Richardson, and Luke Wilson in free agency, the Seahawks decided to give Russell Wilson a new weapon in the first round with San Diego State back Rashad Penny. While this pick may have been a bit of a reach, many believe that Penny's diverse skill set, he is proficient in the run game, the pass game, as well as the return game, is very similar to that of Saquon Barkley. Not saying he's as good as Saquon Barkley, but they both bring similar skill sets to the table. Would it surprise you if Rashad Penny has an equally significant rookie impact for the Seahawks as Saquon Barkley does for the Giants?
0: This is tough for me because I don't really see Penny as much of a third down back. He's a guy that really struggles in pass protection and catching the ball out of the backfield. We all know that that's one of Saquon's strengths and that's a big advantage that he does have over Penny, so I don't think his receiving numbers will be as good as Barkley's, but I think his rushing numbers can be similar. It just depends on how that Seattle Seahawks offensive line holds up, and we all know that's been their liability or their deficiency over the past few years. It's just how good their offensive line will be, but I was totally shocked, along with a lot of other people, that Penny went so early in the draft. I thought he was more of a second or third round guy, but him going in the first just shows how much the Seahawks valued him. And if you think about their offense, he really fits in perfectly with them because he's a guy that can run between the tackles. He's known for being able to break those tackles. He's a very strong runner as well. He's a guy that reminds me a lot of Thomas Jones. I'm sure you remember him. They're very similar running very similar running backs as far as their playing style. So I think Penny can have some success, probably not as much as Barkley as a receiving threat, but I think the rushing yards could definitely be similar.
1: Yes, and after Rashad Penny, the Seahawks began their long-term defensive overhaul in the third round with USC defensive lineman Rasheem Green. A scout from an AFC team told NFL.com's Lanzeer line that if Rasheem Green returned to school this fall, he could have been a top 10 pick in the 2019 draft. Moreover, Lance Zierlein noted that Rasheem Green projects best as a base defensive end that will kick inside in sub packages. That sounds a lot like Michael Bennett. Do you think Rasheem Green will grow into that long-term successor to Michael Bennett for the Seahawks?
0: (laughs) And it's funny you say that. He's the guy I actually compared him to. His body type is very similar to Michael Bennett as well, so... I thought he played out of position at USC this past year. They really played him inside as opposed to more on the exterior at defensive end. And you just see him getting mauled by double teams. And I thought it was a bit unfair to him because that's just not what his natural position is. It was more of a need-based thing because of some injuries and some guys that they had banged up throughout the year. But when you saw him come off the edge... He just looked like a totally different player now he is very raw that's the thing about him a lot of people thought he was going to go back to school for another year as you alluded to he probably would be a first round pick if he was to come out in 2019 but he chose to come out this year obviously ended up going in the third round which i thought was a, a fair target range for him or value range for him because he's a guy that doesn't have it all right now as far as hand usage And just a go-to move and a counter move when at the point of attack or initiating contact. And that's something that the Seahawks will have to help him learn and develop as time goes on. But I think around 2020 or 2021, I think he's a guy that can have a very high ceiling.
1: Oh, absolutely. and. Another personal favorite pick the Seahawks made value-wise was that of Ohio State offensive tackle Jamarco Jones in the fifth round. If it wasn't for his poor combine performance, Jamarco Jones would have been drafted much earlier. Some believe his tape is infinitely better than his workout numbers suggest. Do you share that view? And would it surprise you if he makes a strong push for that starting right tackle job at some point this season?
0: Yeah, I actually was a big Jamarco Jones fan. Now, he is a bit slight. I think he only weighed in around 300 pounds at the combine, so he needs to gain a little bit of weight. But has a natural pass, set, footwork is very good. I thought he would test a bit better than what he did at the combine. And that was the one of the biggest reasons that he did slip to the fifth round. But I was shocked that he slipped this far. And it wouldn't shock me at all if at some point this season he overtakes Jermaine Defetti at that right tackle spot. So. I think they got terrific value getting Jamarco Jones in the fifth round.
1: I believe so, too. And moving on to the defending division champion, Los Angeles Rams, who, uh, like your Minnesota Vikings, are in a Super Bowl or bust season. They essentially traded away their early picks for some talent and They were relegated to beginning their draft in the third round, but they still came away with a quality haul with 11 picks. And heading into this draft, they urgently needed offensive line depth because most of the Rams starting offensive line is long in the tooth, looking at you, John Sullivan and Andrew Whitworth, and or coming out of contract after the season. Andrew Whitworth and Rob Havenstein, to be specific there. They selected three developmental players, an offensive tackle, Joe Noteboom from TCU, center Brian Allen out of Michigan State, and guard Jamil Demp from Maine. Demby played tackle in college, I think, but he projects best to guard in the NFL. Which one of those three would you be the most excited about long term if you were the Rams offensive line coach?
0: Probably Noteboom. I was a big fan of Noteboom. He shows some positive signs throughout the year, especially on tape from TCU He needs to gain a little bit of weight, but TCU just keeps churning out these athletic offensive tackles that have some upside if you stash them on the practice squad or at the bottom of the 53-man roster for a year or two. So, no boom is just the next guy in line in that long line of TCU guys. I know the Vikings had one last year with Aviante Collins who came in And contributed at times last season. I think Joseph Noteboom could be in a similar situation with the Rams long term. So Noteboom would definitely be a guy that I'm excited about in the future.
1: Yes. And do you think he can replace Andrew Whitworth at left tackle or does he project better as a right tackle?
0: It just depends on his development. And it's hard to say right now, but I would start him off on the right side because I trust him a bit more as opposed to throwing him in there right away and protecting Jared Goff's backside. So I definitely will start him at right tackle.
1: Yes, and another one of the best value picks of day three, in my opinion, was the Rams taking Oklahoma edge rusher Ogbania Okoronkwo in the fifth round. He likely slid as far as he did because, as it was recently reported, he just underwent foot surgery. Although he will struggle to make an impact early in the season because of his health, can you see him eventually tallying three to four sacks by the end of the year? Because after all, he'll be on the field with Aaron Donald and Dominick Sue, and he's going to get a lot of opportunities to get after the quarterback.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that. I can see a situation where he does end up with three or more sacks this upcoming season. They needed some edge rushers after getting rid to Robert Quinn. They needed some more guys out on the edge. Obviously, their interior is solidified with Aaron Donald and, and Dominican Sue. So I can see Obinna Okoronkwo ending up being a contributor out on the edge. Now, he does need to develop a counter move. He really only has one move right now, which is a basic spin move, which really worked on the college level for him. But obviously, NFL tackles are better than those college tackles. So they're going to end up picking up on that one move that he does have. So he needs to develop a go-to move and a counter move as well, which I think is something that will come over time, especially being with Wade Phillips every day.
1: It most certainly will, and he is Jordan Reed, ladies and gentlemen, inside the pylon.com and host of the Climbing the Pocket podcast. Jordan, it is always a pleasure, as I've said countless times of having you on this program. You really, really know your stuff. You're one of the best in this business, but before we let you go here, uh, we like to play a little game called Overreaction or Not an Overreaction. And in this game, I will talk about a prospect drafted by one of these four NFC West teams that we have discussed yet, And you tell me whether I'm overreacting or not overreacting, starting with the 49ers. DJ Reed will be the 49ers starting slot corner and main punt returner in 2019.
0: I'm going to say overreaction. I just want to see a little bit more from him. And he's a smaller guy, too, as well. So he's going to have to play nickel. So I don't see it in 2019, but maybe far out beyond that. So I'm going to say overreaction.
1: Back to the Cardinals. Chase Edmonds will get 10 to 15 touches per game this season in order to keep David Johnson fresh.
0: Oh, that's definitely an overreaction. It's going to be the David Johnson show, and that's the way it should be.
1: Why not? Uh, You you, you have to keep these guys fresh, even the workhorses.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you do, but I just think they're going to give him a heavy workload, especially with being how fragile Sam Bradford is shown to be from time to time. He's going to be fresh as well. David Johnson, he didn't play last year. So his body should be fresh and I think he's going to be ready to go with the heavy workload as well.
1: Oh, very good point. And moving on to the Seahawks and the best story in this draft and arguably any draft I've covered, the Seahawks will give Shaquem Griffin a frequent role as a dimebacker in sub packages this year.
0: Oh, that's not an overreaction at all. I think he's going to be a heavy contributor in that defense and he's going to be a heavy contributor on special teams as well. I think he went to the perfect situation with the perfect team as well that's going to let him play and just let him roam all over the field. And he's playing alongside his brother as well. So it's just a fantastic story.
1: Yes, and it couldn't have had a happier ending with him being reunited with Shaquille there in Seattle. And last but not least, Micah Kaiser will assume the starting job Alec Ogletree recently held in the rams base defense.
0: I definitely could see that happen. The Rams definitely have a hole in the middle of their defense. They need some help at linebacker after getting rid of him so I definitely could see that I think Kaiser is a good player now he's a guy that really struggles on third down a bit but as far as his pass coverage, but you talk about he, the two guys that he's going to have in front of him and Aaron Donald and, and Dominican Sue, which will help him out a lot. So I definitely could see Kaiser overtaking that role.
1: He is Jordan Reed, ladies and gentlemen. Follow him on Twitter at jreeddraftscout. Reed Draft Scout. Catch his work at com and check out his podcast, Climbing the Pocket. Jordan, it's always fun having you on and we hope to have you back on when we resume later this summer.
0: Thanks for having me on as always, David.
1: You're very welcome, Jordan. And that concludes our 2018 Dash to the Draft series. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. As I alluded to, we will be off for this next month and a half, but Sports Crunch will return with a vengeance in mid-July as NFL training camps begin, so stay tuned. In the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive, including all the Dash of the Draft episodes we did this year, my interviews at the Senior Bowl, my interview with longtime NFL scout Greg Gabriel, etc., etc., as well as an up-to-date blog of mine at SportsCrunch.com, and remember, that's Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at Patreon.com slash SportsCrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Jordan Reed, especially since there's never an off-season for talking football. For Jordan Reed, our producer Chris Broadhead, this is David Cromwell saying so long and as usual, stay awesome.